Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When I think about that song that says, even within our lungs, our breath, our very being, the depth of who we are, everything that has breath, what's the scripture say? Praise the Lord. So, as I think of this day, I can't help but feel moved within my spirit to thank the power of Jesus Christ. For there is no other gods under heaven, no other person, no other idol whereby men must be saved but through Jesus Christ. And so it's very moving for me to think about that Jesus came to save the world. For it says here in Matthew chapter 21, and if you have your Bible, you can follow along with me. Matthew chapter 21, verse 9. I found it befitting to, to start off today's service with this part of Scripture. Then the multitudes who went out before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We go to church and many times we practice the law. We practice religion for we fear the deep relationship. How can you praise somebody you don't know? I want to start off today by saying, I hope that all of heaven and the angels and in the throne room of God, Jesus sits at the right hand and the Holy Spirit bears witness with us. Know that we have hope. Praise the Lord. That was perfect. We've tried everything, but we haven't tried a couple things, so we'll keep trying those as well. We're having some interference, and we don't know what that is. But we know this that the gospel is being preached here, and this church is full. Amen? Let's just praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So if I have to break out in the old-fashioned type of preaching because I have the mic in my hand, you guys are going to know, wow, he is filled with the Holy Spirit today. Today is one week before Sunday. This is what is known as Palm Sunday. We celebrate Palm Sunday, so-called because of the palm branches that they used Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The event is recorded not only by Luke, but by all of the gospel writers. They found it so important that it was written and exemplified and magnified because I believe it was the greatest event of all times. Because as you look in the Bible, we have the Old Testament, which is prophetic message, and the New Testament is prophecy Revealed. Well, the Old Testament is prophecy concealed. And so it's said as we celebrate Christmas, for he comes out as a, he comes from the ground as a root from the seed of Jesse, from David. And we know what it says in Matthew, just the power and magnitude of who Jesus is. 
And I'm grateful, yet humbled, to stand up here today and just think of, you know, how can I make this relevant? And I told my wife, you know, I think for a lot of pastors, we always try to make it, you know, well, what's different about this Palm Sunday service or Easter? What can be different about this message than any other message? We don't need a new message. That's the problem, I think, with a lot of churches. We can stick with what the Word of God has to say and stick with the Word. See... We need to come to church because we need to gain knowledge and power from the Word. I said earlier, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And I'm humbled to say that I can stand up here today and understand truly the Word of God and the power that is found in His Word. So let us look at the scene, let us look at the setting of this story. Jesus and the disciples had come from Bethany to Jerusalem, about two miles from the south. The south. The triumphal entry took place about five days before the most important of all the Jewish religious festivals. Now think about this. This was the Passover. It was all ready. It was here and it was about to begin. There were probably no less than. Now think about this. No less than 300,000 people. 300,000 people. We know that Jesus hung out with his guys and his, those that were close to him. He hung out with his disciples. But I believe that after all of Jesus' miracles and the works that he performed, he didn't do it before 300 people 300,000 pilgrims were in Jerusalem for this Passover season. A religious zeal pervaded the atmosphere. There was excitement. There was expectancy in the air. But I want to draw your attention away from the festive multitude to the submissive minority. Because in this story, as well as in the story of the crucifixion. There are drawn for us in the God's word several beautiful pictures of submission. And that's where I want to really minister to us today. A quality highly valued by God spoke about submission, spoke about surrender throughout all of Scripture. Consider with me today three illustrations of submission that we'll find in our text So I'm going to have you flip over to Luke chapter 19, again, one of the Gospels, as we see what it has to say here in verse 28. Point number one, the submission of Jesus to the will of the Father. The submission of Jesus to the will of the Father. And it says here in Luke chapter 19, verse 28, it says, When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. He ascended up to Jerusalem. It says, And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. 
But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near to the Descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had seen, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And yet, for those that were looking on, some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, hey teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, then the stones would immediately cry out. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. And level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written... My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything for all. The people were very attentive to hear him. I'm just going to stop for a minute. This wasn't in my notes, but God just revealed something to me. Uh, What verse is that? Jay, look where it says that Jesus wept now think about this just for a minute here's the setting and i think i think it needs to be said this morning and i'm just following the leading of the holy spirit because i really do believe this think about jesus in this moment noticing that he was about to be persecuted and crucified and yet there are two different parts in scripture where he says That when he looked upon the city, it said that Jesus wept. Do you know that's only two times in the Bible? Did you know that? Because John 11.35 says that Jesus wept. Remember, at the tomb of who? Lazarus. That was one single person. But as Jesus was looking on into Jerusalem... He was noticing who he was going to die for. Now, think about the setting. You know, for many people, you know, I I was looking at a friend on Facebook who's down in uh, Kissimmee and St. Cloud. And uh, he's, you know, one of the House of Representatives for Florida, what have you. And he was on the back of a truck and he's standing real tall. And as he's standing tall, you know, he's waving and everybody's learned to wave. You know, you want to go to both sides because you want to acknowledge everybody because you know everybody. Well, you want them to think you know them, when in reality, you don't know any of them. You just need their vote. Think about that. For a politician, it's somewhat selfish. But Jesus wasn't a politician. 
And yet it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. So here's where I'm noticing this whole thing playing out. Jesus wept for all of humanity. He knew what he was about to embark upon. And yet in the scripture there it says he ascended. He went up to Jerusalem, the very place where Lazarus was raised from the grave. And he remembers where he wept over a dear friend with Mary and Martha. And yet here he is again visiting that same place. And it says that Jesus wept. Wow. And if you notice the last phrase, it said he was going up to Jerusalem. The little phrase is brief but filled with meaning. And that little phrase there was fulfillment of prophecy. It says he was going up. He went ahead. He went up to Jerusalem in verse 28. Zechariah had said century Centuries before in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, here's what he said. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And yet we start to notice Christ fulfilled this prophecy precisely by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. It was said and now it's revealed. But it was more than just the exact fulfillment of prophecy. For Daniel, in his extraordinary 70-week prophecy, had prophesied the exact day Jesus would ride into Jerusalem and become and is Israel's Messiah. See, all through Scripture we see there's this, this kind of going back and forth. Is he really a teacher or is he the Son of God? Is he the Messiah? And he said, I prove to you over and over again by the miracles that I perform. Don't you see the evidence? And yet even his own disciples sold him out and denied him. And here we are at Holy Week remembering and reminding ourselves of the suffering of the cross. We have to stop and understand the fulfillment of prophecy that was in this little phrase. It says he ascended up to Jerusalem. Why? Because there was also danger in it. Now watch, the last time Jesus had been in Jerusalem, there had been an attempt on his life that is described for us in John 10. Then Jesus asserted his deity in no uncertain terms. And it says in John chapter 10, verses 31, Then the Jews took up stones against him to do what? To stone him. Later in the chapter, we read that there was another attempt upon, but that he escaped in verse 39 in that latter part and went to be with John beyond the River Jordan. From that point on, Jesus was in constant danger. The danger increased after Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus was safer in the countryside away from Jerusalem, the center of power of his enemies. But once he stepped foot back into Jerusalem, the center of power of his enemies, immediately there was a plot out to kill him, to destroy him. And yet here we read that he was ascending up to Jerusalem, knowing full well the danger this act placed in him. So 
I think about the text. It says, why are you so quiet? Now, I believe that there's some things that we'll see, and I'll bring it to the forefront of our Christian lives. Are you spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you telling people about Christ in your life? Do people know who Jesus is? Is this just a a religious experience, or do you really truly know who Jesus is? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you have an intimate relationship with him? Then it says here, even when the Sadducees and Pharisees and all of those scribes and all the people that were there were looking on, and the high priest said, hey, what's going on here? He says, if you're quiet, even the stones will cry out. We're afraid to say amen in the church. We're afraid to raise our hand. We're afraid to do anything for fear what somebody's going to think of us. Well, I'll tell you this. I want to get excited. See, there it is again. Sometimes people say, I just want to jump out of their seats and scream, right? But let me tell you this. Okay, as, as crazy as I might look up here, I don't want to rock to cry out in my place. I would much rather be the one who's praising Hosanna in the highest. Amen? Who's glorifying the name of Jesus. Who's exemplifying and magnifying who Jesus is. But you have to understand, Pastor, I'm just a quiet, submissive, bashful person. Well, then get filled with Jesus and he'll change you. See, I see prophecy being fulfilled. I see this taking place. I want you to see something and listen closely. There was prophecy and danger in that phrase, ascending up to Jerusalem. But also there was submission. Now listen, church. If you don't listen to anything in this message, listen to what I'm saying. There was submission to the Father's will in it. You see, the act of submission would lead to the cross. The whole reason for His coming. Ahead would be the awful mental and emotional emotional turmoil in the Garden of Gethsemane. A traitorous betrayal of Jesus by Judas with a kiss. Disciples of Jesus would turn tail and run, and Peter would deny him not once, not twice, but it says three times. And ahead lay a mock trial by an angry court. Rejection by the multitude. For the same multitude that cried out in that triumphal entry. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Would now shout, crucify him, crucify him, just a few hours later. Ahead lay shame and mistreatment. The mocking of the soldiers. The plucking of the beard. The horrible beating by the Roman soldiers. The whipping with the cat of nine tails. And the crushing of the crown of thorns into Christ's. Holy brow. Ahead lay the cross, the agony, the suffering, the pain, the drink of vinegar and gall, the crowds mocking, and the spear 
in his side. And worst of all, ahead was when Jesus would bear our sins on the cross and God the Father would turn away from a sin and pour out his righteous wrath for our sins upon him. And Jesus would utter that mournful cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus ascended up to Jerusalem. He knew all that was before him, and yet Jesus was still submissive to the will of his Father. Though in his human side, he dreaded what was to come. And in the garden, he prayed in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Father, Father. If it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Perhaps no scripture shows for us the submissive heart of Christ. Like Philippians chapter 2 says, it says this, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being In the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. But the submission of Christ was not... The only example of submission in this story. Number two, the submission of the disciples to the will of the Savior. The submission of the disciples to the will of the Savior. And if you look back here in Luke, you'll see in verses 29 through 35, and I'll highlight right now, verses 30 and 31. The disciples were given strange instructions about the colt. And here's what it says. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So in verse 32, it says, so those who were sent went their way and found it. Just as he has said to them, but as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, because now, if you'll know in scripture, a lot of times when it is a small L versus a large L, we're talking about our savior. We're talking about the Messiah. We're talking about God. It'll, it'll reference capital L, as you can see here, not just a Lord who's in royal uh, hierarchy, but it is demonstrating and it is showing each and every one of us that they were representing who the king of kings is and who the lord of lords is so the lord has need of them and then it says and they brought him to jesus and they threw their own clothes on the cold and they set jesus on him the disciples willingly submitted to the command of their master Jesus Christ. It's fascinating to examine this passage of Scripture because 
In it, we can see some striking parallels to our responsibility to submit to Christ's great commission commands. And here's what it says. It says that we need to go. In verse 30, Jesus told his disciples, go ye. But in Mark 16, 15, it says that he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus told them in verse 30 to go to the village over against you. In other words, begin at home. But then before his ascension up to heaven, Jesus expanded the directive in Acts 1.8 and says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and then in all of Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. What do I see here? Submission and surrender. Submission and surrender. Church, you can't proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in your own power. Paul is saying, here, here's what we're seeing in Acts chapter 1. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got to let people see who you are. They've got to hear your God stories. They've got to know what's going on in your walk. And hopefully your talk matches your walk. And let me ask you this morning an important question. Do they line up? Do they line up? He gave us a commandment. Go into all the world. Let the world know. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and to glorify your Father who is in heaven. He told them to go. Jesus told them in verse 30 to do what? Find that cult. Jesus knew just what the disciples would find. He knows all about what is ahead. He knows the people that we will run into who we need to tell about Jesus Christ. He has prepared them for our witness and testimony. Jesus said to his disciples, listen, you will find over there a cult tie. Can you not see represented here all of the humanity in the bondage of sin? Watch. We're to go to those who are tied, who are bound, and who are not free. And then Jesus said to the colt, to this colt, would be one. We're on never man sat. Nobody's ever been on this colt. Here is humanity with its unbroken will. Do you guys know something? I know we make jokes about donkeys, right? And some people say it in the wrong context. You wouldn't be one of those people, would, would you? Anyhow, I need to tell you a little bit about a foal. I couldn't understand why. Do we really have to break down that whole text, the colt, the foal, the donkey? The, I'm like, I got it all together here. But in the scriptures, it takes almost 60 days to break a foal. That means it's a donkey that's under the age of one. Now watch. If the winds and the rain. If a fish could swallow Jonah, and if Jesus can calm the sea, why are we limited to believe that he cannot calm our storm? Interesting, isn't it? So by the touch, by the ride, it said he got right on that baby donkey, 
untrained. And he even said that the donkey was untrained and he got on there and by the touch of the master's hand calmed that foal. And now Jesus has become a donkey whisperer. I saw it in the scriptures. He knew. He's always teaching something, isn't he? All the way up to Calvary. All the way up to Golgotha. All the way through the Via Della Rosa. He's always trying to show all 300,000 pilgrims that he is Lord of all. And that he's the Son of God. I get excited when I think of the magnitude of who my Savior is. And the power that he has. But when you look back on John 30, the reason why, you know, they wanted to pick up the stones at one point that they were going to stone Jesus was because he was talking about becoming the shepherd of the sheep. He was always trying to teach them. We know that throughout scriptures, just like today, it says some will hear and some will fall to the wayside. If you came in here this morning, here's the first thing you should do. Lord, when pastor gets boring and it gets a little warm in the sanctuary, wake me up in the name of Jesus. (laughs) We lose sight quickly. And here at New Hope, if you are tied, if you are tied down, if you are bound and you are not free, I have a man whose name is Jesus who will free you. He will free you. It's all, it says in Isaiah 53, 6, you can follow with me up here. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it says, and Paul declares it in Romans chapter 3 here. You'll see, and it says, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Let's keep reading. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed innocent blood. Shed blood and destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Jesus told his disciples that when they found this colt, they were to loose him. You see, when we lead sinners to Jesus, we emancipate them. We free them from the prison of sin and judgment. We liberate them from the chains of Satan and his, and his minions. And Jesus told his disciples, bring him to me. We don't bring them to the church door. We bring them to Jesus. Amen. Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. We don't bring them to God's law to follow rules and ordinances and precepts and statutes to earn God's favor. We bring them to Jesus where his grace is freely bestowed without change. We don't bring them to religion. We bring them to Jesus. Jesus went on and said in verse 31, he said, if any man asks you, oh, yes, there will always be public opinion. It will never be 
sympathetic to the cause of Christ. You're sharing the gospel with others will fall on many deaf ears. Some might even mock and make fun. Some may oppose and contend and hinder. And in some lands, some might even persecute and oppress you. Finally, Jesus instructed his disciples that if any man asks what they were doing to say, the Lord has need of this full. Think of it. The Lord has need of him. Not the Lord is going to punish him, which would surely be just and fair for every sinner on earth. Not that, but the Lord has need of him. Finally, a purpose in life. God's purpose for you is to live for him and to serve him and to glorify him in your life. Folks, when I saw those parallels, I was reminded that God tells us to go and to tell the good news that Jesus can lose people from their sin and give them everlasting life and a future in heaven and peace and joy and great fulfillment. Many are out there waiting to be freed. The question is, are we submissive to Christ's command to go and to tell? Jesus told these disciples exactly what to do about this little tiny donkey. And they were submissive in every respect. May God help all of us believers to be submissive, to go as Christ has commanded. So you could see we have some bikes over here, right? So we have bikes over here. We have uh, scooters in the back. We have eggs that are filled full of candy. And the number one question that I used to get years ago was this. What does all this have to do with Easter? That's a pagan holiday. And I would look at him and say, well, let me explain something that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Now, if I look around this building, I saw the praise team was up here. Everybody proclaims to know Jesus and they're baptized and they know the Lord. They walk in the spirit. And as I look around this room, I don't know all of your souls, but I know a lot of you because I'm your pastor. But you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I don't see anybody outside these walls right now. I really looked. I mean, I was trying to see if I could see the big crowd of about 300,000 people, but I didn't see them. And then I looked over this way while I was preaching. I didn't see anybody over here as well. But I do know one thing, that if we're ever going to seek and save the lost, we have to have an Easter egg hunt. That when this auditorium is filled full of little people all over this place of 150, listen, from Good Friday to Easter egg hunt, to the celebration of the resurrection service, do you know this church has had over 1,000 people come through the doors? Isn't that amazing? Praise the Lord. Give Him glory. That's what it's about. We know the bunny rabbit has nothing to do with it, but the world thinks that. Oh, but when they get here, they're going to hear the gospel. And when they see the gospel, which is all of us showing people the love of Christ... I have to tell you that this is what we're supposed to be doing. Are we submitting to what our calling is to go you, go ye? That's the King James for you. And the New King James Version is go ya. And the New Living Translation is go yuns. And I'm just kidding. It means that all of us need to go. We all need to go into the highways and hedges and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number three. And we'll wind this thing down. The submission of the donkey to the creator and king. Now watch. The submission of the donkey to the creator 
and king. In Luke chapter 19, verses 35 through 38, here's what it says. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. As he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Woo! Back that up. Back that up. Now, do you see this? They began to praise him for all the things that he's done. Wow! That is amazing, preacher. Right there in Scripture. Thank you, honey. I'm sweating. Listen. Because here, some were proclaiming that he was the Messiah. As others were still judging him. For all the things that they had seen. And then it continues and it says, And as it is appointed... Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. For all the things that we have seen. The disciples brought the colt to Jesus, cast their garments on it, and Jesus sat on it. A colt on which never a man sat before, according to verse 30. That is, it was not broken, and yet when Jesus sat on it, it submissively, compliant, and willingly carried out Jesus into the city. And there was a loud throng. There was a great cheering. There was great noise. For Jesus was coming to seek and to save. Amazing. You see, the most stubborn animal of all Species of horses is the donkey. Any farmer knows that the donkey has a reputation for being the most ornery, stubborn, hard-headed, contrary animal on the farm. And yet here we have the stubborn will of a donkey totally submitting to Jesus. So cool for me. All of nature, all of nature was submissive to Jesus. The storms. The winds, the sea, the fish, the rocks, they were all subject to his will. Only mankind shakes his stubborn fist in the face of God in rebellion. I ain't doing that. Are you kidding me? What are you expecting from me? You've been asking for money. You've been asking for money for this parking lot. You've been asking for eggs. You've been asking for bikes. Well, Jesus asks for your life. Will you give it up today? Will you submit to it? Will you surrender to it? That's preaching up there, Pastor. Amen. I just thought I'd put that out. I I love the power of Jesus and who he is. God is your maker. And the maker of something is its boss. You can live in sin if you choose and reject God's free gift of salvation offered through his son, Jesus. But someday a day of reckoning is coming, church. And the writer of Hebrews says, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, That God is rich in mercy because of his great love which with in who he loved us. He cares for us. 
But in the verse just before that, he says those without Christ are the children of wrath. Under condemnation for sin, even a donkey submits to the creator. So today, church, why don't you listen to him? Why don't you listen to him? What does he want you to do? Because Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 40, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. He wants each and every one of us to believe on his Son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. Are you here today and lost, bound by sin, Facing God's judgment. Dear friend, listen to me. Free to the loving arms of Jesus who will cleanse you from all sin. And give you life everlasting. If you'll but trust him to do it. Sadly. Those without Christ aren't the only ones who are not submissive to God. Even Christians sometimes refuse to be submissive to their maker. God works in our lives and wants to change us and give us the power over sin in our lives. But sometimes we're just too stubborn. And you know what people call that? Stubborn old mule. We are. God works in our lives. And he wants to work in yours. Sometimes God decides the best thing for us are some trials to mold us and make us more like his son. Sometimes our trials are here to mold us and make us so we're more like his son. And often we stubbornly resist the trials. Sometimes we ask him to do something for us, and in his infinite wisdom, he answers us with a, no, not now. I don't think so. It's not going to work. We don't want to submit to his will, but he knows what is best for us. So church, God wants to take full control of your life and to be your master. And he wants you to submit to him in all things. Oh, that we would just learn to be like this dumb mule and submit to God. We'd be so much happier. We would save ourselves so much heartache. And I'm going to say this as we conclude. So there you have it. Three examples of perfect submission. One, Jesus was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And the disciples obeyed Jesus' instructions, even an odd one about securing a mule for him. And a stubborn old donkey obeyed the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So how about you this morning? Have you submitted to God's command to believe on Jesus and to be saved? Do you know him? If not... Why don't you bow your head today and tell God that you know you're a sinner and that you are under condemnation, that you accept this free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, that you believe Jesus died for you and that you want to serve him the rest of your earthly life. And if you'll do that, you'll have the solemn promise of God that says in John chapter 3, verse 15, That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So Christian, is there some way you have not submitted to God in your life? Perhaps some sin you're accusing 
you know, God wants you to stop. Some habit God wants you to quit. Some activity. You know, God wants to have his way in your life over. Have you submitted to be baptized? Next week when we have baptism. Are you ready to be baptized? Have you submitted your will? Have you, or do you want to show the world, as he said, go into all the world? Do you want to show the church that, yes, today I'll be buried in the likeness of his death to walk in the newness of life, to walk in Christ? I want my family, my friends, and the world to know that he's my number one. Have you submitted to living a holy life, to love and forgive even those who treat us most harshly to give to God's work to help the poor needy maybe to have a part in missions you know there was a little dude that was out here last year and it was the sweetest thing ever he was jumping up and down like this he was just jumping up and down he was excited he had the magic egg is what he thought And his mom and dad looked at him and said, Hey, what do you have in there? He goes, You know, we have some gold eggs back there. Some that have stuffed them have seen that. He's like, I have a gold egg! And he's jumping up and down. I wanted to look at him and say, Son, do you need to go to the bathroom? He was about four or five years old. And when that egg opened up, he got a bike. Now let me explain something. Here's what we did. Those people have never come to this church. And it doesn't matter. But I said, you have favor with Jesus. Look at that. Wow. And then I always love this. Because, you know, when you have siblings, they're over there like this. You know, calling names and putting. But this little dude who was jumping up and down with excitement. Here's what his mom and dad said. He doesn't have a bike. Out of all of our children, he's the only one who doesn't have a bike. Isn't that amazing? So for me, he looked at me, and he stopped hopping. I was like, yes, yes, yes. I was excited. That, that moved me. That really made me feel some sort of something. And I knew right then that we were doing what God commanded us to do. I could not begin to cover all the ways God may be dealing with you. In your life. But whatever he says, obey his voice, submit to his commands, and yield to his will. It is only as we obey that we experience the greatest joys in the Christian life. And this morning, listen, church, I want to extend to you the call to surrender, to be like Jesus. To be like his disciples and even to be like a stubborn mule. Will you do that today? Will you receive that today? Praise the Lord. Let's rise to our feet. Let us pray together. Father, we come before you today. Father, grateful for your word. Father, we thank you for your promises. Father, we thank you for this holy week that you have set forth. Father, we know that even... Even if all of humanity, for you said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You said if you can calm the sea, you can make the rocks cry out. 
Father, today in this room, there are many that are dealing with a hurt, a habit. Maybe there's a hang-up in their life. Maybe, maybe they've been holding on to some resentment and unforgiveness. Maybe they've been like struggling deep with sin in their life. And Father, they need to surrender and obey to the will of your voice. God, today, I feel your presence. God, today, I know you're in this place. God, today, I know that as we journey, that Jesus looked at all of humanity and understood what was ahead. And yet he surrendered and said, not my will, but thine be done. Oh, God, help us to exemplify, to magnify the name of Jesus. Help us to stop being selfish. It's not about the cup being half empty. It's about it being half full. Help us to do your work. Help us to be vessels used for your honor in whatever way that might be. Father, I thank you for those that have given given of their time, of their talents, of their tithe. Father, I thank you that we get to expand the parking lot. And, Lord, there's going to be room for everybody to park. And then we'll, that will run over to the place we want have a place for anybody to park. But we'll park them wherever. God, I pray for revival at New Hope Talmadge. I pray for your anointing to continue to flow from the throne room of God. I pray that, Father, that we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. To not be like the world, but be like you. Father, today I surrender. I submit to your will. And I ask you, Father, to speak to your people. To change their course. To change their life. Lord, as we turn towards submission. Lord, here am I. As we fall at the foot of the cross. Here we are, Lord. Use us. In Jesus' name.